Hello, and welcome to this podcast. In case this is the first one that you're listening to, I'm going to give a short introduction. I'm Cindy Pierce, and a couple years ago, I started a Bible study about the women in the Bible. Each week was about one or two women, and I read their story out of the Bible and interjected some thoughts and facts about the story. Afterwards, I would recap the story and talk about the woman and some of her characteristics and how it could apply to us today. I really enjoyed doing that study and as I was so excited about them that soon other women that I worked with wanted to participate. So then I was doing one Bible study at the house and a couple of others at different offices during lunch times. At the encouragement of some of those ladies, I recorded those lessons and put them on this podcast. I'm using the same format. I'll read the story right out of the Bible. I use the New American Standard because that's what I grew up reading. And I'll talk a little bit about the story. And at the end, I'll give a reminder of some things to thank God for and ask God for from the story. One of the things that I love about the study is that God's word says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So I believe that as you listen or study along, that God will speak to your heart. And I hope you enjoy this as much as I have. This is the 10th episode. The other nine are available on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Today we're studying the Shunammite woman whose story is told in the book of 2 Kings. Before I start her story, let me tell you a little bit about what was happening. This story includes the prophet Elisha, who followed the prophet Elijah. Elijah was the one who challenged the prophets of Baal and hid from Jezebel when she threatened him. And he heard God in a still small voice. In 1 Kings 19, 14, he told God that he was there because he thought that he was the only one left that has was still serving the Lord. And God told him to go back and anoint two kings, um, one over Israel and one over Judah, and to anoint a prophet to take his place. And that prophet was to be Elisha. Um, and he also told him that there were 7,000 others that had not bowed their knee to the false gods. Um, in 2 Kings 2.9, Elisha was following Elijah and learning from him. And he it was time for Elijah to um, leave. He actually was taken up into heaven. Um, and Elisha went with him. And Elijah asked what his request would be. Um, and he said, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, you've asked a hard thing, but if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be. And so he did see him. He was taken up um, by a whirlwind and Elisha saw it. And immediately when he picked up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and he struck the waters of the river and he crossed back over the same way that Elijah had crossed when they came forward. So some of the interesting part of Elisha's miracles are that they're very similar um, to the ones that Elijah did. So, and we'll see that in the story as well. So her story, um, I just wanted to give you some background on the prophet who's in the story as well. But the Shunammite woman's story starts in 2 Kings 4, verse 8. And it starts with, there came a day when Elisha, the prophet we just talked about, passed over to Shunem, where there was a prominent woman and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. So I love that because 
I could be easily persuaded to eat food, but um, it noticed that it says she was a prominent woman. We don't know this woman's name. And, you know, sometimes you might feel overlooked and like um, no one knows that you're there and what's going on in your life, but God knows your name. He knows where you live and he knows what you need. Um, and as we'll see in the story, he knew her as well. In verse nine, she says, she said to her husband, behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Please let us make a little walled upper chamber and let us set a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. And it shall be when he comes to us that he can turn in there. So first of all, she discerns that this is a, a man of God. And then secondly, she says, let's make a room for him. And I, I love how practical this is. I mean, it's like a little guest room that you would make in your house now. And, and the Bible literally says a table, a chair, and a lampstand, and a bed. So he's got a little hotel room in her home that he can come and stay in any time he needs to. And he does. So in verse 11, it says one day he came there and turned into the upper chamber and rested, which I love that word too, because he felt at peace there. She had a gift of hospitality, and if you're faithful in those small things and the gifts that God gives you to do, then he blesses that. And so um, this man of God could come here and rest, and he um, felt comfortable. And in verse 12, he says to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. It still doesn't say her name. It just says where she lived. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, behold, you have been careful for us with all this care. There's that hospitality. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the army? And she answered, I live among my own people. So he offered to do something. And what he thought of was like, you know, hire up people that he knew and that, you know, if she, if she mentioned them to him, but she didn't really care about any of that. She was very humble and she had pure motive. She didn't make him the room to get something. She just made the room um, out of faith and because faith has works that go with it. And so she provided an action to, to perform this room for it, for him. Um, so apparently she leaves the room because in 14 it says, so he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi the servant answered and said, truly, she has no son and her husband is old. So apparently this is pretty obvious, but Elisha hadn't noticed it and the servant did. So he was perceptive about that. And I said she had left because in verse 15, it says, and he said, call her. So she comes back up to the room again. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway. And then he said, at this season next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. So her first immediate response, um, it's kind of like us saying, get out, no way. Um, you know, we immediately come back with sort of a negative response and she immediately said, don't lie to me. Don't, don't lie about this. So, um, and, and I think her response was one of don't give me false hope because for her, that season had passed. She had stopped looking for that, had stopped dreaming about that. Um, and that just kind of makes me think of, you know, a lot of us have dreams and futures that God, um, had placed in our hearts of, of things that could have happened. And, you know, some of those dreams and hopes may not have come to pass and they've kind of withered and um, you're not thinking about them anymore. But Psalm 37, four says, to delight yourself in the Lord 
and he will give you the desires of your heart. And part of the meaning of that is that he creates the desires of your heart. So if he's placed dreams or visions or hopes or something for the future, and it's from him, then don't give up. Be patient because um, those dreams can still come to pass. Maybe not in the way you thought, but um, God is faithful. So um, in verse 17, the woman conceived and bore a son at that season the next year, as Elisha had said to her. So a year later, she's got a son. Verse 18, so some time passes, and it says, When the child was grown, the day came that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, My head, my head. And he said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her lap until noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. So here's the promise she had been given. She's raised him. He's a bit older now. Um, something is hurting his head. And she he, he, he dies in her lap. And she immediately takes him back up and puts him in the place where the promise had originally been given to her. And she laid him on the bed. She shut the door and she went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I may run to the man of God and return. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It will be well. So she tells her husband that she's going to the man of God, but not why. And so one of the things here is, you know, when you're going through a heavy trial or um, something in your life that's not right, be careful who you talk about it to. You, we don't have to tell everybody the trials we're going through. You're certainly going to get advice from all kinds of people. If you've got someone godly in your life that can pray through that with you, then that's a good person to take it to. If you have a pastor um, that you can go to and share, then that's a good person to, to talk to. But don't tell everyone the trials that you're going through because you'll get all different kinds of advice. And a lot of times um, you get negative responses. So she didn't want a negative response. She didn't want any response. She just said, it will be well, which means in... Um, Hebrew was the word shalom or peace. So her husband was like, why are you going today? He, she hadn't told him what's happening. It's not a new moon. It's not the Sabbath. Those were typically times where you would go for worship or teaching. And so he's like, why are you going today? And she just says peace, which is a good confession. She kept her mouth closed. It would be like in English. It would be like us saying, it's all right. It's going to be all right. So she spoke peace, the word peace to her husband and to herself. It was an answer, a cry, and a prayer. So she answered her husband with that. She's telling herself to be at peace, and she's praying for peace. So in verse 24, she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slow down the pace for me unless I tell you. So pretty much she said, go as fast as possible. Um, and, and I would say here, don't camp out with your problem. Take it as fast as you possibly can to God. Don't let it go over and over in your head. Don't think about all the possible outcomes. Don't worry about the things that can happen because of it. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't let people make it worse than it can be. Take your problem to God, whether it be someone who can pray with you or just, you know, praying yourself. Just take it to God. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. 
And it came about when the man of God saw her at a distance that he said to Gehazi's servant, Behold, yonder is the Shunammite. Please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. So first of all, he recognized her from a ways off because he told him to run meet her. And then he asked her, is it well with you, your husband and child? That was her whole world. So he's asking, is, is everything okay? And again, to the servant, she says, it is well. By faith, she answers, it's going to be okay. It's still peace. It's going to be okay. So when she came to the man of God on the hill, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone, for her soul is troubled within her. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, did I ask for a son from my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? So um, when the servant pushed her away, she had said to everyone, it was well, but her soul was troubled. And the um, prophet could tell that. And so when she said, do not deceive me, she was reiterating that that was what she was afraid of, that even if she had a son, that something could happen to him. And so he, she didn't even say what had happened. All she said was, do not deceive me. And he knew. And when he starts verse 29, he, he knows now what's happened. So he says to Gehazi, gird up your loins, take my staff in your hand, go your way. If you meet any man, do not salute him. If anyone salutes you, do not answer him. Lay my staff on the lad's face. And the mother of the lad said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And he arose and followed her. So that verse is very interesting because Ruth said something similar to, that, to her mother-in-law when her mother-in-law told her to leave. And actually, Elisha, when he was traveling with Elijah um, in the Second Kings 2, um, said something very similar to Elijah. In fact, in Second uh, Kings chapter 2, verses 2, 4, and 6, Elijah tells Elisha, you stay here. And Elisha says to Elijah, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you and went on to the next place. And that was in Bethel. And then when they got to Jericho, Elijah said the same thing. And Elisha repeated it and said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And then a third time when verse six, when they got to the Jordan, he said, I will not leave you. And so this same response is what the woman says. And he follows her back there. In verse 31, it says, Gehazi passed on before them, laid the staff on the lad's face, but there was neither sound nor response. So he returned to meet him and told him, the lad has not awakened. So when Elisha came to the house, behold, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. So he entered and shut the door behind them both and prayed to the Lord. Um, so this is kind of um, the same miracle that happened in 1 Kings 17 with Elijah, who also was taken care of by a widow in another land. He was actually in Sidon, and a widow there was taking care of him. Um, and I'll talk about that in a different podcast. But he, she also had a son who died and came to him and said, um, you know, what, I, what has happened? Um, how you've come to stay with me? What have you to do with me? Um, you've brought um, my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. And so Elijah in 1 Kings stretched himself on the child three times and prayed to God, O oh Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's life return to him. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him and he revived. 
So Elijah wasn't there when that happened, but I'm sure that he had heard about it either from, you know, other people or possibly from Elijah himself. So the, he does the same thing in verse 34. Well, 33, he entered, shut the door behind them both and prayed to the Lord. And then in verse 34, he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands and stretched himself on him. And the flesh of the child became warm. Then he returned and walked in the house once back and forth. Then he went up and stretched himself on him and the lad sneezed seven times and the lad opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he called her. And when she came to him, he said, take up your son. Then she went in, fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground. And she took up her son and went out. And I wrote in the margin there to life because um, she had her son back. So um, it's kind of interesting that it was the same, very similar to the miracle that um, Elijah had done. Um, and this is kind of the first major miracle, and Elisha um, has the same result. So part of that double portion that he asked for is um, already being seen here. Um, I also kind of think verse 34 is interesting, because when it says descriptively, we put, he put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands, just kind of makes me think of, you know, what um, a first responder would do if something was wrong with someone these days with that. Um, with CPR, obviously they didn't call it that or know what that was back then. And obviously he had already prayed to the Lord first. It's just a very interesting and descriptive verse about um, how he prayed for him. So we would say, wow, that's awesome. This is the end of that story. A um, couple of things. First, in Hebrews eleven thirty-five, the faith, faith chapter, um, I love when the New Testament kind of mentions things that happened in the Old Testament. And in Hebrews 11, which lists all the people of faith and the things that they did, verse 35 says, um, it's listing people that um, Gideon and Barak and David and Samuel. And then in 35, it says, women received back their dead by resurrection. There weren't a lot of resurrections in the Old Testament, but this is one of them. So I kind of love that they're mentioned in Hebrew as well, in Hebrews as well. And also for this woman, this is not the end of her story. So even though this is an amazing story and it's great, if we turn over to chapter 8 in the same book, 2 Kings 8.1, she has six more verses. Um, and I'm going to read through these. This is very interesting because um, I use these six verses all the time as a story by themselves. But it's even more interesting when tied in with what we just learned about the Shunammite woman. So verse chapter 8 of 2 Kings verse 1. Now Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life. So apparently he's still coming by her house and says, Arise and go with your household and sojourn wherever you can sojourn. For the Lord has called for a famine and it shall even come on the land for seven years. So sometimes God provides for us where we sit. Um, the widow in 1 Kings, actually he caused her flour and oil to not run out until the end of the famine. So sometimes we can just stay where we are and God provides for us there. And sometimes he says, go. So in this case, she had a warning and he came and told her and said, go. And she was immediately obedient. In verse two, it says, so the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She had no reason to doubt him, right? Um, so she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines for seven years. She packed everything up 
did exactly what he said, left for the seven years. In verse 3, it says, It came about at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, and she went out to appeal to the king for her house and for her field. So she just got up, left everything, took off, went there, and she came back now to ask the king for her land back. And in verse 4, look at the timing of this. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Please relate to me all of the great things that Elisha has done. And it came about that as he was relating to the king how he had restored to life the one who was dead, that behold, the woman whose son he has restored to life appealed to the king for her house and for her field. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. When the king asked the woman, she related it all to him. So the king appointed for her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the produce of the field from the day that she left the land, even until now. Um, so God restored everything to her when she told her story. I love this six verses, and I use it a lot in Bible studies and just when talking to people because it speaks of the timing of God and how he works behind the scenes even when we don't know it, to cause things to happen um, at certain times. What in the world? She came back to ask, and right at that time, they were relating that story to him. Like, I love this so much because God can do that. If he did it here for her, he can do it for you. He can do it for me. And I love that he just had the timing worked out perfectly to where that conversation was happening right when she came in. And she got to tell her story, and she was restored not only her land, but all the produce that it would have raised, any of the produce that it would have raised from that time. So I've, I've used the six stories, uh, the six verses as this story, as their own story often. But how interesting that her journey of the first part that we read is the reason she's here in front of the king. In other words, if none of that had happened to her, she wouldn't have had a story to tell. So she wouldn't have been here at all. She wouldn't have had the story to relate to him. He wouldn't have had a story to ask about. So the fact that she went through everything in that first, um, the first chapters that we read about um, brought her to this point in the journey. And I think that's such a beautiful picture besides the timing of God and that he can work for things on your behalf when you don't even know that it's happening. Um, it also speaks to the journey of our lives and things we go to through that we don't even understand why we're going through them. But God knows the big picture and he can use that. He can use everything we've been through. Um, in fact, Romans says that, that all things work together for the good um, of those who are called according to his purpose. So I love how beautifully this story shows that. Um, at the end of these, I always uh, just give some little th thoughts to praise God for and thank him for, and then some things to confess and ask. So in this story, we'd like to praise God that he never overlooks even small kindnesses performed out of love for him. Uh, Jesus said, do it unto the least of them and you do it for me. So when we are kind and we go out of our way and we use our gift of hospitality to make someone feel um, welcome or loved or not overlooked, um, God remembers that, and he, um, he blesses that. He honors that. Um, to thank God for kindness from other people and how many times he's used other people, even in our lives, in your life, to show you kindness and 
um, that someone did um, something just out of goodness for you. Um, to confess to him the tendency to overlook others' needs because we focus on our own. You know how often we're so wrapped up in the chaos of what's happening in our own life that we don't even see what's in others. Um, Elisha missed uh, what was happening in her life, um, and yet, you know, that was brought about anyway. But for us to, to be more patient and kind, to look at what others are going through, and to be mindful of that. And then lastly, something to ask God for. And just that he would remind us that he can do miracles. He gave her the gift of the child that she really had not even asked for. In fact, it seems like she was afraid to ask for that because she was afraid that even if she got it, that something would happen. And yet he also provided the miracle of the resurrection of the child when something did happen to him. So um, brought her through that whole journey. And then also the miracle of the timing of the story when she went before the king and how um, perfect God's timing was in the retelling of that story and the fact that her journey, her life, um, even the hard parts of her life, um, that God was able to use that um, and to bless her um, with that. So that is the story of the Shunammite woman. It's one of my favorites. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it.